I'm Dave, one of the teaching pastors. It's great to be here with you. I want to talk a little bit about our service we're going to have here in a couple of days. And I want you to pray for me. You know, we have these prayer cards and we're praying for people. Well, my prayer is, and I am a founding member, if you've heard this, of Chipotle. You might not know that. I eat there all the time. My wife thinks I have problems. When I walk in there, anybody who knows me starts preparing my meal because I order the same thing. So right down the road there on Antelope, tomorrow, I'm going to invite all of them to this campus. So I need you to pray for me. And then in the afternoon, I'm going to go to the Riverdale. Oh, yes, I go to both of them. (laughs) And so G has cards for this campus. And then I have cards for the Riverdale campus. I really do. And I'll walk in there. I'll say, hi, Dave. But, but I'm going to invite probably 15 people to 20. And I just want you to pray for me. But I want to pray for you. And, and I, want to, I want to ask you, who are you going to invite? Because here's what we know. During the Christmas holidays, people will come if they're invited. There's a really high likelihood they will come. And the greatest gift... The greatest gift you will ever give Jesus, it is his birthday, by the way, is to invite someone to know about him. So I just really want to encourage you, and I want to pray about it. So let's pray. Dear God, I pray for my friends at Chipotle. I really do. I I pray that you might use these invite cards. You might use our relationship that we've developed and that they might come and learn about the God of the universe that loves them. And Lord, I pray for all my friends here at Layton. I pray that they would be courageous in the next couple days. And I pray they would invite someone too. And that you would surprise them, God. You might even shock them that people would say yes. So give us a boldness in the next 48 hours, I pray, God. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right, well, I love coming to this campus. Is this not the most beautifully decorated campus? I go to all the campuses and teach, yeah. I, I go to all of them, right? And don't take this wrong, this looks like Vegas. But anyway, this looks, no, this is beautiful. G just does such a fantastic job with this and his team, and it looks great. Well, today, I get to talk about Christmas, And so I'm really excited about that. I want to talk about the true meaning of Christmas. And I want to tell you a true story. This is a true story. In 2001, there's the Richards family from Australia. And they decide they're going to break the Guinness Book of World Records for the most lights on their property. So they put up 331,000 lights. And they break the record. It stands for over a decade. But then there's Tim Gay and his family from New York, and they hear about this record. So Tim and his family, they're going to break the record. Now, it's 11 years later, and they break the record by 15,000 lights. Well, the Aussies don't like this, so they decide there's no way some New Yorkers are going to do better than them. So the next year, they put up half half a million lights. To tell you how many lights that is, just the wire that would connect between all of the lights is 29 miles long. Well, Tim Gay and his family said, this ain't happening, we're Americans, we're New Yorkers, so the next year, they do over 600,000 lights 
on two acres. It takes them two months to prepare, and then they add 200 of the most popular Christmas songs of all time. Now, I just want you to think about this. Do you think these two families kind of missed the purpose of Christmas? See, I don't want you to miss the purpose of Christmas. My wife and I and our adult daughter, we're going down and and we're going to the mall at Park Station. It takes us 15 minutes to get in and 20 minutes to get out. And there's people everywhere and people are breaking the law. Utah, we are the worst drivers in America. We got ranked number two worst. Who took that survey? We are by far the worst. And so people are just breaking the law. And so here's what happens to us at Christmas. We got the office party to go to. We got the kids play to go to, right? We got to get presents. We got to send them off in time. My wife's in the UPS store. People who waited too long, it would cost them $60 to mail the present so it'll get there on Christmas Eve. And they're all mad about it. My wife's like, well, what do you think was going to happen? She didn't say that because she loves Jesus. And so we're, we get exhausted. See, I don't want you to miss the meaning of Christmas either. And in the busyness of the season, it's easy to miss the meaning of the season. And Jesus is the reason for the season. And so I want to talk about that today. I want to talk about it from the perspective of the wise men. And I want to talk about it from the perspective of the shepherd boys. All right? So let's take a look. Matthew, open your Bibles or your apps. Matthew 2, verses 1 and 2. About that time, some wise men from eastern lands arrived in Jerusalem asking, Where's the newborn king of the Jews? We saw a star as it rose, and we've come to worship him. So let's talk about the wise men. Uh, Some say they're rulers, some say they're kings. They're obviously scholars, and they study the stars. And we're not told how God does it, but God uses their understanding of astronomy, and he uses their brilliance because they obviously knew that the scriptures had predicted that the coming Messiah was was going to be born. And because the coming Messiah was going to be born, somehow God used their their sweat equity, as you'll find out, their resources, their inquisitiveness to go follow this miraculous star. So they go out on a journey. Now watch what it says, to find a king. The king of the Jews. The one scriptures had talked about in the Psalms. The Messianic Psalms had predicted, the ones that the prophets had predicted seven, eight hundred years earlier. And so they decide they're going to go on a journey. Now, here's what's important this isn't just any little journey. They're going to travel, scholars think, 750 to 1,000 miles. This is going to cost them a boatload of money. This is going to Uh, dictate that they bring an entourage. They're going to take time off from their jobs. Not only that, in the ancient world, it was very dangerous to travel. Now, there's no planes, trains, and automobiles. There's no Uber service. 
Well, what would happen in the ancient world as you traveled, especially towards nighttime, you would go around a bend and there would be some marauders, some thieves, and they would steal your possessions, steal your animals, and you would be left for dead. And so it took tremendous courage for them to go on this journey and, and to find this king of the Jews. Now, here's what's important. They were not God followers. Here's what I found so fascinating about God. They're from probably the Persian area. They worship pagan gods, false idols. So God is going to use some people, now watch this, that aren't even his followers to track him down. And you have to say, why would God do that? Why does God use some outsiders? Why didn't God use some Hebrew people or some Jewish people? Here's why. Because God is for all people. And, and, and it's not just going to be that Jesus is the king of the Jews. Jesus is going to be the king of the Danes and the Turks and the Chinese. Because the angels are going to declare this is good news for all the people. And so these guys go on this journey. Now, why is that important to God? I think God knew people would say, oh, Christianity is just exclusive because Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one gets to heaven by me, and this Jesus is so inclusive. No, Jesus uh, invites everyone to follow him. That's why uh, it says in the New Testament that God desires that none should perish, but all come to eternal life. And so God demonstrates that with these wise men. And I started thinking, don't be surprised when God reaches someone you think is impossible. Don't be surprised. His name was Eric in my high school. He was the wild man. His dad was rich. They lived in an exclusive part of town. And his dad traveled a lot. So all the parties were at Eric's house. All the drugs, all the alcohol, all the parties. I lived in the 70s, the worst dressed era in American history. Long hair, bell bottoms. Who came up with bell bottoms? But Eric becomes a Christian. And it shocks my high school. But Eric wasn't the wildest guy in our city. Eddie Carlson was the wildest guy in our whole city. And Eddie was dating a twin, and I was dating the twin sister. And one night, Eddie and I, the wild man, talk about two different types. And I'm a young Christian. I'm a straight arrow, and I got the wild man. And I start sharing the gospel with Eddie. I come back to my 10-year reunion, fast forward 10 years, and everybody says, did you hear about Eddie? Did you hear about Eddie? Did you hear about Eddie? I said, no, but I bet it's going to be good. He said, Eddie became a Christian. Eddie is a follower of God. Don't be surprised this Christmas who becomes a follower of Jesus. Don't be surprised. Because God goes after People outside the camp. That's what he's doing with these wise men. They don't have Google Maps. They don't have a GPS system. God uses what they're interested in, which is astrology. God uses their brains, which is prophecy, and he directs them to Jesus. 
What did God have to do in your life? Who did he use? What did he use so you could know him? Think about that today. He used some events. He used some people. Why? Now watch this. God is the great pursuer of people. And there's nobody too far gone with God. God is the great pursuer of people. So don't you give up on him because God specializes in reaching the people nobody think would ever follow Jesus. So let me ask you, are you pursuing Jesus? Are you helping other people pursue Jesus? Our whole vision at the church is to help people pursue God. Are you helping people pursue God? Or maybe you're a guest today. Are you here to learn more about this God who is worthy of pursuit? Let me show you something. The wise man demonstrated the true meaning of Christmas by seeking Jesus. They sought him. It cost them time and effort and money. It it, it might have cost them their lives, but they are seeking Jesus. Here's Jeremiah 29, 13. If you look for me wholeheartedly, or other translations say, with your whole heart, you will find me. Let me give you a little secret. God isn't playing hide and seek. He's not. God wants to be found. As a matter of fact, the Bible's clear that God's going to help you Find him. That's why I love these guys. They're willing to go. Then it dawned on me this week, what if there, you know, everybody thinks there's we three kings. We sing the song, three wise men. We don't know if there were three, but let's say there were four. And there was an unwise man. And he decided not to go. He decided not to seek. He decided to live his comfortable life and his selfish life. Do you realize what he would have missed out on? The glory of God and the Son of God and a miracle right before their eyes? Don't be that person. Now secondly though, these wise men demonstrated the true spirit of Christmas, the true meaning of Christmas by giving to Jesus. So they go on this journey. They're looking for Jesus And then they're going to find him, all right? When they saw the star, they were filled with joy. They entered the house and saw the child with his mother, Mary, and they bowed down and worshiped him. You know, all of your manger scenes that have everybody at the manger, they're wrong. (laughs) It's a sweet hallmark tradition, but, but this is later, actually, after Jesus is born, and he's not in a stable. He's in a house, but I want you to notice what happens. They entered the house, watch the verbs. They saw the child with his mother, Mary, and they bowed down and they worshiped him. Now, why is that a big deal? Because in the ancient world, a king didn't bow down to another king. A ruler didn't bow down to another ruler. And yet these probably leaders, kings and rulers, bowed down to this king named Jesus. Now to bow down literally means to bend a knee. That's what it bow down means. 
Worship can mean the same thing. It means to lower yourself. So they might have got on their knees. They might have been prostrate on the ground. And they bowed down in acknowledgement. Now watch this. That you are greater than me. That you have more authority than I do. That you have more power than I do. Absolutely unheard of in the ancient world. No wonder the Bible's going to say about this Jesus. He is the king Right? Above every king. He is the Lord above every Lord. And these wise guys, they figure it out. Now, if you were ever engaged, most of the time, the man will get on his knee with a ring. It'll probably be the only time he gets on his knees, except for washing your floor. Okay, it'll be the only time he gets on the knee. But this tradition is the same idea. You bow down to someone that's valuable, that someone that's precious. These guys understand this king is greater than me. And I am going to bow down as a symbol and a sign of who he is. But they don't just bow down. It says they open their treasure chests. So they bring treasure chests on this journey and they give him gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. Now these are significant because they're symbolic. In the ancient world, when you found a king of prestige, the gift to royalty was always gold. So they're saying this Jesus just isn't a baby, he's a king in a baby's body. So they give him this acknowledgement that you are royalty. Now frankincense is something when there was a procession for a king, this incense, you would move around in front of the procession to acknowledge the greatness of the one behind you. So not only are they saying this Jesus is a king, but watch this, now they're saying he's a divine king. He's Emmanuel, he's God in the flesh. But then they do something, and I don't even think they realized it. They give him myrrh. Well, myrrh was this expensive, sweet-smelling perfume that you would use at a funeral for embalming. They don't even realize they are literally predicting that this king one day is going to to die. But what struck me about their gifts is they're not like Americans. They don't go to God and go, God, how can I get away with giving you the least amount? God, how can I re-gift you something? I had a buddy of mine, he was a doctor. All he would ever give me was re-gifts and he thought I never knew. Or we give God the loophole. How can I give you the least? Let's, let's understand something about God. God owns everything the Bible says. God is not needy of our gifts. Then why does God ask us to give? Because it is a demonstration of our love and adoration and respect and our worship of him. So these guys give the best that they have not just what's in their pocket, not just what's at the end of the month. They give gold and frankincense and they give myrrh. 
and they worship him. I pray that's how you treat God. That you give him the best you have from the first of the month, not the end of the month, not a bunch of excuses. You say, God, I love you and I honor you and I respect you and I'm gonna give you the best that I have. Now there's another group I wanna talk about and I love these guys. I call them the shepherd boys, okay? They don't have shepherd boys in the Bible, but they should. Because I love these guys. The shepherds demonstrated true meaning of Christmas by sharing Jesus. Now, I got to tell you a little about these guys because these guys, they had it tough. Let me tell you about the life of a shepherd. You were on 24 7. There were no vacations, there were no holidays, there were no sick pay. Because sheep always needed food and they were nomadic. So they were always trying to find grasslands and they were always trying to find water. And so they were always on. In the day they would feed the sheep, direct the sheep. At night they would look out for predators. Their families had a history of not being very strong. Because they were never home. They were distant dads. They were poor husbands because they were never around. In religious circles... They were stinky, and they were smelly, and they were rejected. They could not give testimony in the court of law back then because people thought they lied so much. Not only that, they were not allowed in all of the festivals of worship because they were so dirty and unclean, people thought, you can't worship here. And so these guys are rejected, they're looked down upon, even as far back as the book of Genesis. Look at this, Genesis 46, 34. Every shepherd is an abomination to the Egyptians. How would you like to be thought of as an abomination? I mean, that's a brutal label to put on someone. And so this, these guys were outsiders, they were loners, they were thought of as losers, I mean, it is a terrible life. You might tell your son to grow up to be a cowboy, but you'd never tell him to grow up to be a shepherd boy, ever. But watch what happens. Luke 2, 8, 9. That night, there were shepherds staying in the fields nearby, guarding their flocks of sheep. Remember, it's night again. They're on. they got to protect the sheep. Suddenly, an angel of the Lord appeared among them, and the radiance of the Lord's glory surrounded them. They were terrified. Whenever you see part of the glory of God demonstrated in the Bible, it is so holy, it is so brilliant, people are terrified every time. You and I have no idea what the real holiness and glory of God looks like. The Bible says if we saw it at a full gas, we would die on the spot. So they catch a glimpse of the glory of God with an angel. Now remember, these are tough dudes. They, they, their, their pillow is a rock. When your pillow's a rock, it's not a my pillow commercial, right? And they're terrified because the glory of God has visited them. Again, this is what I so love about God. Who does God go to? Some pagans that don't even know him. Then, before he even went to them, he goes to some shepherd boys who the world has mistreated. They're unloved, they're outcasts, they're loners, and they're losers. And God says, I think I'm going to tell them first. I just love God. But the angel reassured them, don't be afraid. <laughs> I love that. Don't be afraid, just be terrified. I bring you good news that will be great joy to how many people? 
God is for all the people. The Savior, yes, the Messiah, the Lord, has been born today in Bethlehem, the city of David. Now watch these words. First of all, Jesus is the Savior. He's this one the Old Testament talked about. He's going to deliver. We would use the word rescuer. We would use the word lifeguard. He's going to deliver people that are going to die without his help. And who is that? That's all of us. That's all of us. Because in the book of Romans, it says that all of us have fallen short of the glory of God. We are all selfish sinners. And that has separated us from God. And if we die without a Savior to rescue us, we'll be separated forever from God. So Jesus comes down, first of all, as a rescuer, as a deliverer, as a Savior. And then he's called the Messiah. The Messiah was this predicted king that was going to come. The word means the anointed one. So Jesus is this Savior who is God. He's the anointed one. And he's not just that, he is the Lord. So the angel packs all of these powerful words to describe Jesus. He's the Savior. He's he's God in the flesh. And he's the Lord over everything. And he's been born today in Bethlehem, the city of David. Why is that important? Remember, Bethlehem is a no-nothing place in the middle of nowhere. But Bethlehem has significance in prophecy because the Messiah was going to be through the line of David. And so there is so much that, that the angel is describing here. And then they said, and you will recognize him by this sign. You'll find a baby wrapped snugly in strips of cloth lying in a manger. So they tell him this, right? And I just love what happens. It, it's great. They hurried to the village and found Mary and Joseph and they were, there was the baby lying in major. Do you know the angel never told them to go? Think about that. They were so amazed that God made them an insider, that God allowed them, that they just took off. They were Usain Bolt. They ran so fast. Now, here's what's kind of funny sometimes. In the ancient world, if you, were, you had these long cloth garments past your knees because a man was not to reveal his knees in public. And so they're probably running, trying not to trip over these cloth garments. I just had fun thinking about that. <laughs> and God says, Go, you know, he's there. So they hurry on their own. Watch this. How quick are you to meet Jesus in the morning? How quick are you to come to church and meet Jesus? How quick are you to get in your Bible? How quick are you to pray? Maybe you've forgotten your first love. Maybe you've got some bad habits. They ran to Jesus. And after seeing him, the shepherds told everyone what had happened and what the angel had said to them about this child. And all who heard the shepherd's story were astonished. Of course, they were astonished. Watch this. The ones that had no voice in their culture, God gave the opportunity to be the voice for his coming. Do you understand this? The ones the culture said, you don't matter, now matter. 
the ones the culture said, shut up and be on the outside, God said, you're going to be on an inside, and I'm going to let you tell everyone first about my son Jesus. No wonder people were amazed. They could not believe this. And all who heard the shepherd's story were astonished. So please don't tell me there's no way God can use you to invite someone to Jesus. Please don't tell me that. I think God used the shepherds to say none of you have an excuse. You're not an outcast. You're not a loser. You're not a loner. And if I could use them, I can surely use you. Get up and go tell somebody about me. You say, well, I don't know what to tell them. Just tell them what God has done in your life. Everybody has a story. Well, my story, Dave, is just kind of boring. I grew up in a Christian home. Listen, we don't need any more axe murderer repentance stories. (laughs) I was in a biker gang. We don't need any more. We got plenty of those. And be glad that's not your story. Just tell what Jesus has done for you. So I'm going to pray for boldness. I'm going to pray, because some of you came here going, no, I'm not going to invite anybody. I never have before. I'm 93. I'm not doing it now. No, God's bigger than you. And the Holy Spirit's more powerful than you. And God can use you. Now, so I'm going to pray for you. The other people I want to pray for, you came here today and you're not even sure why. I'll tell you why you're here, really. Because the same God who pursued the wise men is here to pursue you. And the same God who allowed outsiders to become part of his family is here to pursue you. Just receive his love, bow down, and worship him. All right, let's pray. Dear God, I want to pray for two types of people here today. I want to pray for that person who, when they came in here today, just thought, I'm just going to endure this message. I'm just going to put in my time. But God, I want to pray for that person that you actually had bigger plans, better plans. You wanted to change their life and their eternity. You wanted to show them that you love them. You wanted to show them that you sent your son Jesus to come and not just stay in a manger, but die on a cross to forgive them so they could know you. You know, if that's you, and it might be you, just today ask this Jesus into your life. Ask him to forgive you, to heal you, to guide you and direct you, because he will. God, for the rest of us that know you, God, give us a power we didn't even think we had. Give us the words that even now we don't even have to have because you promised to give us words when we speak for you. Lord, I pray everyone here will invite somebody by giving them a card or giving them a call or sending a text or just in person saying, hey, we have a service And I pray you'd surprise them, God. 
I pray that they would be shocked at who you really want to reach. And Jesus, for all of us, I pray that from now on we would center the rest of our Christmas time on you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.